Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. So you've seen um, this happen. Maybe you have been in this position. The groom is watching the door. The groom, you know, all dressed in his tuxedo, standing up there with his groomsmen. The bridesmaids have already entered. The pastor is uh, standing there at sort of the pinnacle of the scene. But all eyes are down the aisle toward the door. And the groom is a little bit sweaty, watching the door with the kind of anticipation that is only known by those who love like this and long to be loved exclusively, monogamously, with the devotion of one forever and ever. Amen. And the bride appeared, radiant, and as if everyone else dissolved <laughs> The two hold one another in their eyes and in their gaze, and she moves toward him, and eventually they stand face to face and hand in hand, and they're ready for the exchange of their vows. And the groom just has one question. Do you love only me? And the bride hesitated. You know that I love you. And so he asked again, do you love only me? Will you love only me? And she smiled and said, I love you and I will love you. Do you see the difference between his question and her answer? Do you see the distance between a one and only forsaking all others love and the kind of love that we offer so often to so many? (laughs) I love you. I love this. I love that. Versus the one and only kind of love that the groom desires, expects, extends, and wants in return from the bride. That's the conversation to be had about today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Because on one level, it's going to sound um, as if we're not supposed to love what God loves, which is the world itself. God loves the creation he has made. He loves every person he has created That's actually not what these verses are about. This is about you and I as the bride of Christ and whether or not we love only him, only him, to the exclusion of all other loves. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. The world offers physical pleasure, the craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. And these are not the love that flows from the Father. These are the kinds of loves that flow from the world. So you and I are people of lots of cravings, are we not? 
I mean, what do you crave? What do you love? What's the last thing you said you loved? It might have been soup. It might have been nuts. It might have been uh, a team. It 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 might have been go blue last night. It might have been the Huskies. I don't know. What's the last thing that, you know, you just declared to someone else, oh, I love this. It might have been a gift you received. It might have been a place you visited. It might be a, a thing you saw. We have grown desperately confused in this generation about the nature of love. In fact, we're, we're going to be, you know, well, I don't know about you, but, you know, we've moved from the Christmas tree and all the Christmas accoutron, you know, to some uh, Valentine's decorations because I don't have any, any uh, celebratory things to put up in between. And so, you know, you had to have, I had to have some kind of little decor to replace all the Christmas doodads. And so, you know, there's a few hearts here and there. I have a little sign that says love is spoken in this house. I've another one that just, just a little tiny little thing that just says, never forget you are loved. We have grown desperately confused about the nature of love in our culture today. So I'm going to invite you to consider today what it means and what it might look like to love Christ above all other loves. Not just to love him first, but to love him foremost. A just give me Jesus, you can have all the rest kind of love. A love that pushes every other love, every other desire, every other craving, not just to the side of the plate, but off the plate completely. To seek first, to desire first, to crave first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Trusting, trusting that God has every good and perfect gift in store for us. So, my invitation to you today is the verse spoken in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Don't love the world or the things that it offers you. Because when you love the world... You, you can't also have the love of the Father in you. There's just not room. The world offers physical pleasure and craving for everything that we see and pride in our own achievements and the things that we think we possess, but those aren't from the Father. They're from the world. And so first and foremost today, to the exclusion of all other loves, let us stand as the bride of Christ before the groom and say, yes, Lord, I love only you. Only you. Our friend Billy Hollowell from uh, Faith Wire is going to join us next for a conversation about some, well, some things that are developing across the country and what's going on, um, you know, in the lives of some fellow Christians. We're also going to talk with him about what an ex-psychic had to say about what she saw recently on a news segment, something that she really couldn't even believe she was seeing normalized in the culture. Yeah, tarot card reading. Yeah, right there on Fox News. Mm -hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Billy Hollowell is back. You know him from Faithwire. The stories we're going to draw from um, are ones that you can read, but there's so much more there as well. Faithwire.com. Billy, welcome back and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled um, to be talking with you again. Um, here's some good news I read on Faithwire. There is revival. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Nick Hall, and you had the opportunity to uh, to catch up with him. Tell us what's uh, what's Nick saying about 
you know, what he's seeing across the United States. Yeah. You know, what I love about Nick is that for those who don't know him, he's the founder of Pulse and it's this big global evangelistic organization and he's on the front lines. You know, whenever we're talking about revival, is it happening? Is it not? You know, we can pull out all the anecdotal examples, but I like talking to people like Nick because they really are dealing with this hands-on every day. And not only are they dealing with it in real time, he's been doing projects for years, right? So you can kind of go back and look at baptisms anyway, you know, the patterns that we've seen. Uh, So he knows that really well. And we sat down and talked about a number of things, including a new effort that he has um, going on right now. But his basic summary is that he really does believe we're in the middle of what he called a reformation of sorts. He said he believes there's a shift happening that a lot of the things that he and others had really put their hope in for a long time, um, or rather Americans in general, you know, we've put our hope in so many temporal things. Those things are not working and that God is really drawing people to himself. I think we've talked about this even recently when I've come on, the lies in culture, the, you know, you can find truth in yourself. All of that is really leading people to a desperate place and they're and they're looking for God. And so he's seeing that happen on the front lines. And he said, quote, there really is revival. Um, and I love I loved when he said that. He said, look, you know, you hear this word, it's thrown around all the time, but he said he's never seen anything like what we're watching happen right now. So this feeling that we all have that something is happening, he really does believe that we are indeed um, seeing something unique. So um, we have a lot of listeners in North Dakota. Uh, it's one of one of the places that Faith Radio has a you know strong presence at Signal. And one of the things that um, Nick is excited about and passionate about, I know, is actually what God is doing in the state of North Dakota. Um, he's passionate about spreading the gospel there and fanning the flame of of revival um, in that particular state. I think he's born born and raised in North Dakota, so maybe not a surprise that um, he has a personal affection um, for that particular state. Um, I would just like to uh, focus for a moment on this this hope that he has to blanket every corner of the state of North Dakota over the next two years visiting recovery centers and nursing homes and juvenile detention centers, places where, you know, God has people gathered together um, and and that they might hear the truth of the gospel um, and be transformed. I just, first of all, I love that it is sort of like, it's one thing to be a global evangelist. It's another thing to bring the gospel home. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I want to, I want to actually credit him for a minute here because he's doing what believers should do, right? You're looking at a guy who's done massive events with tens of thousands of people and he's gone all over the world and he's done all this stuff. And a lot of people, they would be like, that's what I do. I do these global big events. And now he is saying, look, I feel called to blanket my entire home state. These smaller events, go like he, like you were just reading all the places he wants to go into. I really walked away from my conversation with him, and I already knew this about him, but really feeling like, wow, that's a guy who's following you know, God's heart, right? He's not following his own whims because he could go out there and do these big events everywhere. Um, and not that he won't do big events in North Dakota, but I think the point is he's willing to say, I'm going to take this global vision, and God's given me a new vision for North Dakota, and I'm going to focus in on my state. And that is what we have to do. We've got to focus in on our communities, on our neighborhoods, right? Um, And so it was just, it was inspiring to hear somebody who's done all these things say, this is where God's calling me and to have a real heart for reaching people there. I just, I wanted to credit him for really following God where God is leading him. Not everybody is always willing to do that, even in the Christian world. So it's pretty powerful. 
Yeah, I was um, I was asked recently, um, you know, what are you most excited about in 2024? And I had to I had to like think and say to myself, you know, I'm I'm most excited about the opportunities to disciple my 10 year old granddaughter and to um, really see what God's going to do in the life of my special needs son, Matthew, as he graduates from high school. Like I it's small. It's small. The stuff I'm most excited about, the world would consider so small. But um, but that's big, like, right? Individual stuff is the big stuff. That's what really matters, right? We're sitting here, to, you know, we can do, you can do big events and they're great. Some, they're great. There's a place for it. But if you don't have the individual heart change going on, you're not going to have, I mean, everybody's so upset right now about where the country is. How do we get here? Why are things so crazy? Well, there's there's a cultural problem, but there's a problem at the individual level. And we see it in the polling and the statistics and the hopelessness, right? People are not being, some people are not being reached and our job is to reach them and to get the message to them of hope. And so to your point, I think we need to focus on the quote unquote small things because they're not actually small. I think we've been deceived by the world to believe that they are, right? Oh, these are all just small things. It's no, that's what matters most. And so I think we need to get back to that, you know, culturally, back to the family, all these things that we've really talked about. Now is the time. And look, people are desperate for it, right? They're desperate mm-hmm. for these answers. And we and we have that answer and we have that hope. All right, I want to have a um a little bit more of a entertainment conversation. I think that's the I think that's the realm I want to move into next. Let's take a brief break and then when we come come back, will you will you tell us who is Michael Tate? Um and what do we need to know um about not only, you know, his his ministry in the music industry, but um but where his heart um, is, is really like, what's at the center of it for him in terms of performance? I think that's the question I want to ask. We're talking with Billy Hollowell from CBN's Faith Wire, and you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Maybe you've heard that Faith Radio partners with One Child to offer you the opportunity to sponsor a child living in difficult circumstances in a hard place. Well, when you sponsor a child supplying for their needs, you change a life. And when you change the life of one child, you change the world. Your one child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that God's got special plans for their life. Your one child gets help with school and is taught skills like leadership and how to even overcome poverty. Your one child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that can be life-saving. You might not be able to change the world, but you can, in fact, change the life of one child. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Billy Hollowell from FaithWire.com. All right, Billy, um, who is Michael Tate and um, what might we know about him and what might we not know about him? Yeah, so Michael Tate, he has been around the block in the Christian music industry. He is uh, the Newsboys frontman right right now, and so he's he was part of DC Talk before that. In fact, I would say he is probably one of the longest serving Christian musicians who is still making hit music. Um, he worked with Toby Mac and DC Talk. The two of them have been out there, and you know, to have sort of a, a career where you have two big bands like that is really unique. Um, but Michael, he also had a Christmas project out. He had a solo Christmas music project out. And so we had a chance to talk about that. Um, But this is a guy who has spent decades in 
music inspiring people, right? Bringing the gospel to them and has done an incredible job doing that and is a very strong, obviously, person of faith. Yeah, he's been around a while. Like, right, this is, um, he's, I mean, he's crazy. He's he's older than me. Like, that's old. I mean, you know, in terms of like (laughs) Christian music. Um, I just appreciate the way that he is, um, he talks about his faith and he wants to see faith impact you know, sort of like every arena and area of life. One big thing I've learned, he said, is just to stay true to who you are um, when you're doing what you do. It's a pretty straightforward message, but I like it. Yeah, well, and the other thing, the big thing in this interview, you know, I I love talking to people like him because we don't always know where they came from. We know the name, we know Mm. these celebrities. Okay, great, but where did they come from? And so we got to talk about how he came to faith and his dad was a pastor and a cab driver. And I loved how he described, you know, if you got in that cab, you were getting saved one way or another. Um, And how his dad, even though he grew up with this pastor father, it wasn't until he was 17 or 18 when a preacher came to his school and spoke about a topic he said, and I thought it was interesting how he worded this. He was like, it's a topic you don't hear preachers preach about much anymore, and it was hell. You know, this pastor came, and he was talking about how real hell is and how beautiful heaven is, and he said that just hearing that sermon inspired him. He said, quote, you can't get saved on the back of your dad or your mom. It's not osmosis. It's a thing we have to be one-on-one with God. And he said he got fired up that day, um, accepted God for himself as his savior. And that was sort of the the real starting point for him, uh, which I I just loved hearing, hearing him share that story. Yeah. I, you know, you think, Oh, this person grew up in a pastor's house. He's a PK. Um, He's, you know, he's heard it all. He's experienced it all. He knows whether or not just on a relational level, it it proves itself out. Um, For him, it really was like I needed to hear the message of sin. I needed to hear the message of hell. Um, And I think we in our culture, maybe there are times that we avoid those conversations. We avoid that kind of talk because we don't want to be off putting to people. But the reality is at some point you, you have to come to terms with the fact that there, there is a heaven, there is a hell, um, there is a way that leads to salvation, and there is a wide path that goes in the other direction. So I just appreciated his, um, his honesty and the forthright way that you, you just came right out and shared it. Um, so you guys can check that out at faithwire.com. One other piece you've got posted that I really appreciated um, and want you to share with folks is, um, is about actress Roma Downey. She talked about she talked about God, and again, when you talk about the backstory and where somebody came from, that is um, that really is the important part of this conversation as well. Yeah, you know, and and you see people like Roma Downey married to Mark Burnett. He's you know the most powerful reality TV producer probably in the world, definitely in the country. And you can look at those people and say they have everything. You know, their lives are perfect, and yet Roma has who's a very sweet person. I've known her for years. You know, she has had heartbreak and her mother died when she was around 10 years old, um, when she was 10 years old and, you know, lost her mom really young of an unexpected heart attack. And, you know, she talked about, she said, look, I don't know how we would have gotten through that without faith and just the relationship with her father. And she's written this, this really cute kid's book about the moon. And, and uh, we talked about that, but really hearing the power of her faith and the hope that she would see her mother again and the hope in eternity and really what that has all meant to her throughout her life. Again, these are details we don't often get about these celebrities that we see that this is a person who, you know, she says she loves Jesus and she's had this, you know, she made the Bible series. 
She's had this relationship with God throughout her life. Um, and just hearing her talk about those struggles, I think it really is helpful to other people who are going through things that are difficult um, and and really taking those struggles to the Lord, which is what she's done. So it was, again, a really cool backstory of somebody that we've seen and known quite well in, in media. Yeah, or we have seen and thought we knew quite well. Mm, yes. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, you have a, a brand new piece that is posted, um, and it is about the reaction and response of an ex-psychic, which, first of all, I'm like, I would pause there and be like, I'd have, to, I'd have to think about that for just a moment. But you interviewed this person because of their reaction, their surprise, and their concern over a demonic practice being um, engaged in a very, very public way um, on a Fox News platform. So tell us what happened and then how uh, Jen Nizza has responded. Yeah, you know, this is really interesting. And I would recommend highly if you are interested in a Christian who has come out of the occult and changed her life. She has a, a podcast called Ex Psychic Saved. It's worth listening to that. It's a bi-weekly show. Um, uh, but but basically Jen was responding to the fact that Jesse Jesse Waters over at Fox News brought on a psychic recently, and that psychic performed an on-air tarot card reading of whether or not Trump would, in her view, win the election, what would happen to Biden, and even performed a tarot card reading on Jesse Waters. It was so strange when I saw it, I thought this can't be real. I didn't even think the segment was real. It was real. And Jen, as a former medium who left the occult, um, became a Christian and renounced all of it. You know, she spent decades working in this world and knows all of this very well, understands what's actually going on with the demonic realm and what you're engaging when you use tarot cards. Um, she was very alarmed by what she saw on Fox News because of the normalization and the mainstreaming of it. And so we had a chance to sit down and really talk through all of that. And she explained also what tarot cards are, because I think there's a lot of confusion about that, that there's nothing magical in these cards themselves. But when you're engaging in them and you're trying to channel this information that you truly are engaging in evil and it becomes a conduit uh, for that. So it was really a fascinating conversation, again, from somebody who knows both worlds, spent most of her life as a psychic and came out of that as a believer and is now warning others. For somebody listening right now, Billy, who's like, that's just silly. I mean, you know, Carmen and Billy are buying, you know, maybe they're making much of nothing. Um, this is this is a world that you have exposed yourself to enough um, to know that evil is real. There are ways in which um, the enemy of God uses people and enters into um, the conversations of the day. I thought the word normalization that you used just a moment ago is really important. Um, it's not just fun and games. It's not. I mean, like, I, yes, you can go to you can go and buy a Ouija board, but you ought not to. Can you just talk with us a little bit about what you know about playing around with things that are of the occult? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, we can go back to scripture here, right? And I think if we're if we are Christians, and I know there are a lot of Christians who are skeptical of even that these things even work or that anything can happen with this, but you know, from the Old Testament to the New, and I would actually go first to Revelation where it says that people who engage in sorcery are not they're going to die the second death. They are not going to to be in heaven. So the people who are engaging in these activities, the occult, not only does the Bible tell us it's real, that doesn't mean every single person claiming they can do it is telling the truth, but 
but that this does exist. You are channeling evil, and we are called to not do that um, from the old to the new. So we know that. Uh, but these tools, you know, this is these are people who are looking for answers, and we have a culture desperate for answers right now. And so they're turning to these psychics, these mediums. We're seeing it in Hollywood more than ever in TV shows. Again, now we're seeing it on news, right? Where a news show, you know, at, whether it's a commentary show or not, they're bringing a medium in, um, and they're and they're normalizing this. And so it is incredibly dangerous because it opens doors to evil. If God is telling you don't engage in it, mm. and scripture is repeatedly telling you that, then you should not be engaging in it. You can't make excuses for it. Um, but I think the natural curiosity of humans is to want to tap into these things to, because we want answers now. We don't want to wait for the Lord always, right? Um, and so there's a real danger in that. And it's a, obviously a very deep, a massive topic, but I appreciate people like Jen, you know, issuing these warnings. All right. You can read um, the full piece at faithwire.com um, uh, and you can check out the X psychic saved podcast, which is linked in Billy's article as well. Hey, Billy, as always, thank you so much for joining us, bringing us up to speed, getting us connected. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's uh, Billy Hollowell. Again, you can check out what he's working on at faithwire.com. All righty. So when you when you think about the things that people are playing around with, when you think about um, inviting evil into your own life and home, yeah, I <clears throat> I don't know about you, but um, it occurred to me that you know there are people who who walk around as if God is real. But God's enemy is not, as if the spiritual things of the Lord are real. But, you know, um, we can play around with, let's say, the Day of the Dead or other tokenisms of of the exaltation of death or the evil one. So I'm just wondering, you got any thoughts on that? You've had any experiences with that? Is this something that um, intrigues you? Is it something that you would like to see us unpack a little further, you can always text me. The text line is open as always, 877-933-2484. I'd love to hear from you. And yes, Mary says, um, uh, yes, my uh, my mind um, certainly returns here to the screw tape letters. And yes, for those of you who are quite certain that must have been on some other network, mm-mm. <laughs> It was Jesse Waters, and it was on uh, his program on Fox. So, um, yes, actually, uh, those who saw it first found it very hard to believe that it was even happening, um, but in fact, it was. So, there you go. Prayers are rising on all fronts. Um, we are going to talk with Johans Vanderbeel in just a moment, and we're going to talk about breakfast on the beach. And when I say breakfast on the beach, do you immediately think about um, Jesus and Peter? That's where my heart and mind goes when I think of Breakfast on the Beach. And guess what? That's what his book is about. It's about the development of Simon Peter. It's also about the development of telling the stories of um, of the discipleship of Peter and others. But it's very, very intensely focused on Peter and, uh, and how this storytelling methodology um, developed for Johan as he was seeking to share the gospel um, in a meaningful way with students in a in an oral um, in an oral tradition. So if you are in a place and you are serving among people who are oral learners, 
How good is your, let's say, orality? How good is your storytelling? Do you know how to not just, you know, open the Bible and read it to someone or assign it to someone to read, but do you know how to tell the story? And do you love to tell the story? Uh, Johan is an excellent storyteller, and he's going to join us next uh, to talk about the development of Simon Peter. The book is Breakfast on the Beach. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Johan and Luis are missionaries uh, in the Netherlands. They have a sending church in North Augusta, South Carolina. Johan's missionary roots trace back to his great-grandfather, who was an Anglican missionary in South Africa. One of the things I have learned about uh, Luis is that um, she and I would absolutely enjoy the fun of cooking together. She is... Uh, she is creative in terms of the culinary arts, also um, a person who works in the medical profession. So lots of um, lots to know about uh, Johan and Luis Vanderbilt. Johan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So we want to talk about Breakfast on the Beach, your book, The Development of Simon Peter. And we want to tease up the fact that there is a sequel to this first book, and that is for the life of the world, the multiplication of Simon Peter. But let's get to know each other a little bit first. Um, just just tell me uh, about uh, about you and your sweet wife and your sense of calling to the ministry where God has you right now in the Netherlands. Wow, that's a long story. Um, my wife and I actually met in the mission. We were both serving in uh, the northwestern corner of Namibia, I was teaching at a high school and she was uh, a nurse at a, at the local hospital. That's where we met. Uh, we've always had a heart for missions. We've always had a heart for, for people who don't know Jesus. And we've always wanted to communicate that faith that, that, that we share uh, with as many people as possible. So we, right from the get-go, uh, from the time that we met to uh, through the time we said I do and had our two kids and uh and sort of moved around the world and worked in different areas uh that's been our primary focus we want people to know jesus and so in wanting people to know jesus you have a heart to introduce them um to the stories of his first disciples to um to cultivate an understanding of what scripture says about jesus and those who follow him you were asked to start a theological college in Ethiopia. That sounds like no small undertaking. Um, but the newer, I might be mispronouncing that, refugees and then um, other local people, you know, they're not readers. They are oral learners. So talk with us about the need to develop and how you developed this storytelling methodology that then um, plays itself out in the book Breakfast on the Beach. Yeah, going to Gambela was really an eye opener for me because I'd always, I, obviously, I grew up in a with a Western mindset, and and I read a lot as as a child. I was a ferocious reader, and uh, going to Gambela, Ethiopia, and being asked to start this theological college, just starting a theological college was huge. I'd never done anything <laughs> right. like that before, and uh, and then I started 
asking questions. Uh, the, in fact, the whole first year that we were there, that's what I did. I met with people. I went and sat uh, at the, you know their campfires and in their huts and and spoke to them and asked them, you know, what is it that how how do you learn? What is your story? What is your history? And I, to my horror, learned that you know just giving them a book is not going to cut it. I I really need to rethink the way that I'm going to communicate the gospel. And thankfully, at the time, there was a man from the uh, um, uh, Orality Network. Um, I think they're based in Texas. I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But um, he was in uh, Addis Ababa at the time. So I flew to Addis Ababa and I met with him and I said, what, what must I do? And he said, well, you really need to rethink everything in terms of story so that's what I did. Um, everything we did, the whole curriculum was based on story. So instead of doing like systematic theology, we did biblical theology, where you would take and tell the story of every uh, part of, of the Bible. Uh, and that was really what I tried to do. Um, so starting with Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, and, and much of the Bible is written in narrative form anyway, uh, so we restructured everything, even the historical bits and even the prophetic bits, and um, we, we restructured in, into story form, which was was challenging, but it was so rewarding uh, because the people got what we were what we were doing, um, and that really was the beginning of Breakfast on the Beach. That's where the the seed was sort of formed. Um, that developed later, so that was when we were working in Gambela, Ethiopia, and then we moved from there to Southern Africa, and we started working with a, 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 an organization called J-Life Africa. And uh, they they specialize in, in teaching people how to make disciples. And part of their curriculum had the story of Simon Peter. It was just amazing. Um, when we, every time we taught the material, uh, people would get it and then we'd get to the story of Simon Peter and I tell the story and it was like the lights came on and yeah. I started realizing that it was the story it was because this was a real person this was a person that felt like them that stumbled like them that that had had fears and and made mistakes and you know sort of stumbled over his own feet Th that made sense to these people and it was it was during that time that someone said to me, you really need to write a book about the life of Peter. And that was how breakfast started. And, you know, then um, we get busy and we're, um, we have to do the things that are in front of us to do. And writing a book sounds like something we don't have um, time to do. And then God, who works in mysterious ways, says, hmm, you know, there." There could be a series of events through which, um, well, we might consider them horrible circumstances, but where, you know, God gives you some time, carves out some time for you to write. When right. and right. under what circumstances did you actually write this book? <laughs> it it was the worst of times, actually. It was during I know. the pandemic. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. It was it was really a bad year. Um that uh, I, I had already started mapping out. I had this big uh, sort of a, a, a storyboard on my wall, and I started mapping out the story of Peter, and I had all the, the text verses and everything written on this board. 
but I just never really had the time because we were teaching that first year when we were doing the discipleship training, we were working in seven Southern African countries. That's Angola, mm. Namibia, Africa, Lesotho, Swaziland, Mozambique, and so on. You know, there were seven of them and we were traveling a lot. Um, and we, we trained over 300 people that first year alone. So we were, we were pretty busy. Um, and then, uh, well, there was a series of, of, of events. I, I got really seriously ill. I had to have emergency heart surgery. Right after that, um, this story of the, about this pandemic that was was up, upon us started coming through. We had some uh, missionaries with us that had to suddenly leave. They were Americans and they had to leave. Their, their visa was revoked. And uh, one day before the, the lockdown, my, my, my wife was diagnosed with uh, second stage uh, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the context of us going into this lockdown. And uh, breakfast was really, um, that's, that's where it got written, uh, with all that pain and turmoil and difficulty that we were going through um that's when it was written so there's a there's you, you, if you've read the book you'll you have noticed there's there's quite a bit of emotion in in the mm-hmm. book as well as, as mm-hmm. peter struggles uh with a lot of things um that that he would have been struggling with in the first century but uh, a lot of that emotion was really ours is uh I mean, we know this from Scripture, but we also know it from our own lives. God does, in fact, work in very mysterious ways and um, uses everything um, to His glory and and for our good. But also, you can, as you have just articulated, there is a very, very strong sense of uh, of just how emotional, um, just how hard it would have been. Um, to be Peter. And I think that when we talk about the development of Peter, you know, we're talking about the transformation of a real human life. And so when you talk about Peter being real and then becoming real to your listeners through the stories, um, that is very well communicated in the book. And so um, thank you. Thank you for that. Let me just remind everybody, we're talking with Johan Vanderbilt. Uh, We are talking about his first book, Breakfast on the Beach, The Development of Simon Peter. There is also a follow-on and a sequel, which, you know, I will, of course, invite him now to come back and talk with us about on a future date for the life of the world, the multiplication of Simon Peter. Um, maybe when we come back, you could just give us a little taste of what's um, of what's in the se- uh, what's in the sequel. Could we do that? Yep, we can do that. All right. It's Taste and See Tuesday, so uh, Johan's going to give us a little taste so that we might see uh, how the Lord has revealed himself. Um, we're also going to want to talk with you um, about, you know, traveling throughout seven African countries and just talking with people and sitting in huts and at campfires. And because that not only intrigues us, it draws us out of our comfort zones and into places and spaces where, you know, the, the front edge of the Great Commission is actually advancing. And it will give us a sense of how we might do that right where we are. Um, entering into, well, I don't know, sitting on people's front porches or sitting with them at campfires uh, near where we live. So more with Johan Vanderbeel in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What are some of the things that you find hard to believe? Do you find it hard to believe that God hears you? Do you find it hard to believe that God loves you? Do you find it hard to believe that right now God knows how many hairs there are on your head and how many are on your hairbrush? Like, 
do you sometimes find it hard to believe that God cares about you and the stuff going on in your life right now? My friend Susie Larson wants you to be reminded every single day, every single day, that God is good. Would you like to wake up to the goodness of God? Just text the word good to 877-933-2484. Every single day, you'll get encouraging text messages, prayers, and devotions from Susie Larson right on your phone. Just text the word good to 877-933-2484. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Johan Vanderbil is, uh, along with his wife, Louise, uh, a missionary. They're currently serving in the Netherlands. The book that he's joining us to talk uh, about today is Breakfast on the Beach, The Development of Simon Peter. It also has a sequel, For the Life of the World, The Multiplication of Simon Peter. If you want um, direct links to connect with Johan and his blog, I'm happy to send that to you. Missions, plural, blog, singular, I-N-G, dot blogspot.com if you want to go there directly directly missions blogging but blogging only has one g dot blogspot.com um let's let's do this let's give people a little taste um tell us a story from breakfast on the beach and then give us a little um sampling from for the life of the world Right. I think I may may need to explain why there is a sequel to Breakfast on the Beach, because <laughs> Breakfast on the Beach is really looking at Simon Peter's development as a disciple, um, where we we examine basically four stages in disciple making. The first stage is just the the first come and see kind of phase. And this this comes from Jay Life's material. This also comes from Dan Spader's book, For Life, uh, For Chair Discipling. Um, and the, but the second one is where there's where Jesus starts walking a path with them and he they they're observing what he does and that's the follow me stage and then the the last the the third stage would be uh, I'm I'm going to make you fishers of men I'm going to make you disciple makers but then there's a fourth stage um, which doesn't really happen in the Gospels and so breakfast on the beach uh, ends with the the just after the ascension. Uh, but that that fourth stage where we put all of that into practice only starts with the book of Acts. So that's why I felt compelled to write the second part, which is for the life of the world, which examines how Peter then puts into practice what he learned uh, while he was with Jesus. So um, it's that's why it's called the multiplication of, of Simon Peter. So Simon Simon Peter has to go through this this learning phase, gets to the point of and, and he was he was pretty sure of himself up until that denial um, when he denies Jesus. And that that was probably the most um traumatic part of the book to write. Um, you know, having lived in war zones for quite a few years and worked in a war zone in, in Gambala and seen the fear that people live with in in such as uh, you know when especially when they're surrounded by uh, people that want to kill them, um, I could really understand why why Peter did what he did, but that 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 sense of 
failure, that sense of I've denied him three times. You know, uh, Robbie Gallaty brings that out in The Forgotten Jesus, that uh, for, for a Jewish person to do something three times means he's made it permanent. And he, he, he basically thought, I'm no, I'm no longer a disciple um, and slinks off into the darkness. And even after Jesus meets with them in Jerusalem and I examine that and then if, he had to go back to where he was called the first time. And that was so you have that duplication of the the miraculous uh, catch a fish uh, in the beginning with with uh, with when Peter is first called in, in Luke and then here at the end of the book of John you have it again so it's it's like there's this mirror image and then you have the coal fire as well the same coal fire that was at least the charcoal fire there was at the the denial is now on the beach and and then three times jesus asks him are you are you devoted to me and i i changed that um do you love me to are you devoted to me because i i wanted to bring that 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 across that it, mm -hmm. for for peter it was a sense of um yeah, I'm really devoted. So when Peter gets to that point when he realizes that it really isn't about me, it isn't my strength or my fortitude, it really is all about Jesus. Jesus is going to carry me through this. And then, then Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. That's where for the life of the world comes in, because Peter takes it very literally and and starts in Jerusalem and and starts going out to Samaria and then eventually there's the the Gentiles and all the way to Rome, so that's what for the life of the world um, basically talks about. And that is, um, I mean, all of it. Not only how we become duplicates of Jesus, um, how we come to Him, how we follow Him, how then He makes of us disciple makers. So so the development of Simon Peter is something that is intended um, for each of us and all of us as disciples of Jesus. But so too then is the multiplication. It's not as if, I, I mean, I, I just think that in the Western world, Johan, I'll just be honest with you, discipleship has become um, so personal. Um, you know, it yeah. is me and Jesus. And for the life of the world really never in, enters into most people's minds. Or if it does, it enters in by, you know, finding a gift link and supporting somebody like you. Like, right, let me pay someone else to go and do what I, in fact, have been called to go and do. Um, and some people will go to the literal ends of the earth and enter into conversations around campfires and in huts in um, African countries that most of us will never set foot in. But that doesn't mean that every single one of us, all of us, each of us aren't called to go to the campfires and onto the porches or, you know, in, into whatever spaces and places non-Christians inhabit right where we are. Can you just talk right. a little bit right. about that? That for the life of the world isn't just the world out there far, far away. It's for the world right next door. Oh, it's your neighbor. Yeah, that, that's why Jesus says, love your neighbor. Um, it's your neighbor right next door. It's your neighbor that's down the road. It's your neighbor at the grocery store. But you know, that's the one thing I love about our sending organizations is called SAMS. It's the Society of Anglican Missionaries and Senders. So I consider the people that serve as our senders, the people that actually do make it possible for Louise and myself to be in one of the most secular nations in the world, um, those people are very much, as in fact, they are, they are missionaries in my, in my view, mm -hmm. they can't go, obviously they have, they have their own 
life to live or whatever they're doing uh, wherever they are but they can cause someone else to speak so i i i look at missionaries and senders as as missionaries um even though we use different different terms but it it is important to realize that you know that that uh, the gospel imperative where we are to make disciples that is the imperative if you look at the matthew um passage it is not go it is make disciples it it would be better translated wherever you go make disciples so if you go to the grocery store whether you go to the gym or whether you go next door to buy, borrow a cup of sugar whatever you do wherever you go you are a disciple maker if you are a believer in jesus you are a disciple maker uh, you may have different styles uh, you may believe in friendship evangelism you may believe in street evangelism or even over the radio is a you know, great mm -hmm. or television or you know whatever media you use uh, you are a disciple maker. Amen. Um, so, Joanne, yeah, we're going to have to go? we're going to have to leave today's conversation right there. But I hope we can talk again because um, it's wonderful, wonderful to meet you today. I want to talk more about orality. I want to talk about more about Sam's. I want to talk more about Peter. I want to talk more about um, the multiplication component of this. Um, so that is Johan. Vanderbeel, I'll connect you with him. We got another hour together. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.